Tito's and Shiner Gonna be an all-nighter And I just might find her At the Whataburger line Dance halls and women But man, I'm wishing That I was fishing by the river Howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tex-ish, the show about some things Texas. Yeah, and some things not. We've got a really fun conversation in store for you today with filmmaker, all-around creative, amazing guy, Will Backey, or Baki. We get into that in the <laughs> conversation. We'll find out. But first, as always, are not sponsors. Today, we're not sponsored by Foam Rollers. Are you a sub looking for a dom who just can't quite find the right one on Craigslist? Try a foam roller. It's like a massage, but really bad. Foam rollers. Do you want to look like you're about to work out, but you really don't want to? Foam rollers. Do you like wearing yoga pants and not sweating? Foam rollers. Foam rollers for when you're like, ow, but also want to be like, ow, a little bit more. Foam rollers for the masochist and everybody. (laughs) Foam rollers. It's like a pillow, but it hurts like a pillow that hates you exactly we are also not sponsored by awkward eye contact with somebody at a stoplight oh do you like not having a good time in your own car look to the left look to the right is that awkward eye contact with the person in the other car that it is do you smile do you smirk do you turn up the radio do you wave i don't know what to do but i know i'm making eye contact with a stranger Awkward eye contact. Are we married now? Exactly. <laughs> I love how we're getting further and further away from like products. Ah, uh, we'll, we'll drift. <laughs> we'll, 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 drift I mean, we'll drift back. back. We'll drift back. I'm just really enjoying this. I, as you can tell, I made awkward eye contact with a stranger at a stoplight on my way here. I'm purposely going to stare. <laughs> Just like into the soul of somebody. Please, please don't. I'm just gonna be like, but like not in a mean way. Just like I want, like I want to know. I you. want to know your story for the time that we're at the stoplight. Mm-hmm. Some people look at me like that, right? I don't like it. You know, I think some people, especially now, are just like, somebody, please look at me. Okay, maybe. I just right. need somebody to see me. <laughs> I need somebody except my cat to recognize that I'm I'm a valid human. I, if that's the case, I will happily look into your eyes at the stoplight. Doesn't make it not awkward. We are not sponsored by awkward eye contact. With a stranger at a stoplight. While foam rolling. <laughs> what uh, what happened once upon a time in Texas history? Once upon a time in Texas history. You know what time it is this time of year, whenever the leaves start to change. I mean, the they air more starts to get a little bit crisp. In Texas, they more just die. We like to call it false fall. That's pretty much what it is. So, once upon a time in Texas history, in September of 2002... The Austin City Limits Festival was born. Oh. Yeah, man. So it is about that time of year. Uh, every year in Austin, we have the Austin City Limits, or ACL, hosted in Zilker Park. All sorts of musicians flying from all over the world and play amazing concerts for the Austinites and mostly not Austinites. Mostly not Austinites. <laughs> they come to see this really just amazing festival and experience the city. Yeah. And the first one was in 2002. That was probably the only time it was only Austinites that went. 
Probably. Because now in almost, in 2021, almost mm-hmm. 20 years later, half of Austin just puts their extra room up for a thousand dollars and just makes bank. Oh, I thought about it for sure. Oh, I I considered it. So I didn't know that it started in 2002, and you I know, thought it was way older than that. <clears throat> I I knew that it wasn't like quite as old as I thought it was, mm-hmm. but uh, like that's almost 20 years old. Next year is gonna be 20 years. That's pretty cool. Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And it also started as a one weekend event, but now it's two weekends. Mm-hmm. Like you know, people just kind of kept piling on. Yeah. The lists kept growing. Like mm-hmm. this year, you know, they've got some pretty huge names. Yeah. Uh, and I know that we've already had people like Metallica, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Depeche Mode, Foo Fighters, Foo Depeche Fighters, <laughs> Guns and Roses, ASAP Rock, Van Halen played one year. Drake played. Drake, Drake played. Uh, I saw Kanye. Like, <laughs> come on. I, I didn't I, see him play. I just saw him. I do love at, this at year, Coffee. though, because it's either Friday or Saturday. It's Miley Cyrus and mm-hmm. then George Strait. Yeah. And I feel like George Strait looked at the card and just thought, what in tarnation? <laughs> <laughs> Remind me, does, is George Strait the guy who, uh, he's got Chris Gaines as his, like, doppelganger, no, right? No, that, that's, that, that's Garth Brooks. That's Garth Brooks. That's Garth Brooks. Okay, yeah, yeah. George Strait is not smart enough to have a doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sometimes I confuse the two, just like... I don't know why. You just offended at least two listeners. I mean, definitely our mom. Uh, probably. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't listen to a lot of like that type of country. Yeah. So it's just like, they're all kind of, you know, <laughs> whining about their trucks and their dogs. Yeah. But I just think it's hilarious that there's a country musician out there who's like got this rock and roll persona. And it's a different person. He totally just doesn't talk about now. Yes, exactly. We've all collectively decided forgive <laughs> and forget. <laughs> what, what is our uh, what's our small town of the week? Our small town of the week is Lockhart, Texas, mm. also known as the barbecue capital of Texas yes, because it, it is, is home to not one, not two, not three, but four famous barbecue places. I thought it was just three. There's a fourth. There's a fourth one. <laughs> now everybody knows Croyd's Market, Smitty's, <clears throat> and Blacks, but there's a fourth one that is lesser known but still pretty famous. Chisholm Trail Barbecue. Okay. It was opened in 1978 by a former Black's Barbecue employee, which I think is kind of interesting. It's where, like, the locals like to go. It's not, <laughs> It's not like, been <clears throat> featured in magazines. It's not the one that gets all yeah. the praise. Like, it looks like a cafeteria line. Okay. But if you live in Lockhart, you go to Chisholm Trail. Now, do you think that's because the barbecue's better or because you just don't want to deal with the crowds at the Superior, Black's, Kreutz? I think probably the barbecue is on par, maybe mm-hmm. maybe not quite as amazing as like a Black's. Because yeah. Black's is kind of my favorite barbecue place. I love Black's. The OG Black's the OG, or the Terry Black's that the, you can the get? The Terry to, Black's is great. I'm talking about the one in Lockhart. Yeah. The OG Black's is mm-hmm. one of the best barbecue places I've ever been in my life. It's uh, fair. I might put that at the top of everything. Second best beef rib for sure. Second best beef rib for sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Lockhart, Texas, was founded in, great question, Seth. You should have had this queued up. Way to go. I'm just going to go kill myself now. (laughs) Lockhart, Texas, was founded as Plum Creek in 1840. Okay. After the Battle of Plum Creek uh, and became... It became Lockhart. uh, They named it after Bird Lockhart, who was an assistant surveyor of the of the time. And it was a site of the victory of the Texans over the Comanche. Hey. So it was a battleground. So it's covered in blood. So it's covered in blood, like most of Texas. Comanches and Americans did not fight 
clean. Oh yeah, they they were not um they were not friendly. No. Uh they I wouldn't go so far as to say hated each other, but they did all want each other dead. One side, one on the other side eradicated. Right. Absolutely. Uh but one of the cool things about Lockhart, I think, is that his population is like thirteen thousand. Like it's super small. Yeah. For something that is pretty iconic. Like it's yeah. It's one of the most famous Texas towns. Just mm-hmm. you, especially in Texas. In Texas. Yeah. Like you, you hear barbecue and you think Lockhart. Mm-hmm. That's where you go. Like yeah. if you're in Austin, you can day trip up there. Yeah. And make a whole, you know, make a whole trip of it. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well and even I think, you know, there's a whole barbecue scene in Austin now. Mm-hmm. But when we were kids in the late nineties, early two thousands, Lockhart was where you went. There mm-hmm. wasn't as much buzz around Austin itself Absolutely. as far as this is a barbecue city. It was, well, you're close, well, you're to, close Lockhart, to Lockhart, so you better get over there. Now, I do have to, just because we're talking to a filmmaker, Yeah, and I want to set the scene, mm-hmm. Lockhart was also the host of many film sets. Really? It was. It was, uh, it was the host to the Christopher Guest comedy Waiting for Guffman. Okay. Wonderful com- comedy right. film. I think we even talk about Christopher Guest within the we episode. We do. We actually do talk about it with Will. Uh, you know the 1993 drama, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It was filmed in Lockhart? Mm-hmm. Parts of it were filmed in Lockhart, specifically the courthouse scene, because it's got this really old courthouse. Uh, okay. What about the water tower scene? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Uh, and then the Walmart in Lockhart was featured in the 2000 film, Where the Heart Is. Aw. Yeah. I wonder what... I wonder what it was about that specific Walmart. Right? I have no idea. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, I just think it's cool that there's this there's this iconic town so close to Austin mm-hmm. that is known for barbecue, but probably not as well known for being the background of some iconic yeah, movies. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, I just and also cool. the backdrop of some pretty brutal history, mm-hmm. but you know, an integral piece of Texas history. It's yeah. not a pretty side of it for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're not going to turn away from it. No, I, exactly. That you know. At some point, I would really like to see if we could get the author of Empire of the Summer Moon. I think that would be really cool. That would be... I would love to have a talk. I would love Um, to talk to him about all of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it it is... I think it's always worth recognizing and respecting those who came before us, including those who came way before us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, without the Comanche, we wouldn't wouldn't inhabit this place. There would be no... There would be no Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the Comanche are... Part, in part responsible for the way that we see ourselves as mm-hmm. Texans. Oh, definitely. Like, the the pride in which they walk these grounds definitely mm-hmm. carried over. I, so. I like to think so. And, you know, I think we owe it to them mm-hmm. to keep that memory alive. Most definitely. They were badass. Do you want to hear about our badass of the week? I do want to hear about our badass of the week. <laughs> so, honestly, Will made me think of this person. Just, you're going to hear him in the interview. He's just so sweet and so... Mm-hmm. Homegrown, home cook, such a really good guy. And it made me think of Alan Graham, who is the founder of Austin's Mobile Lows and Fishes and also Community First Village. Oh, cool. Alan like, is founder of those two things, and it was, he started Mobile, Mobile Lows and Fishes in 1998 uh, with a couple of friends that he had from church. It was four friends. And they felt like they were answering God's call to love their neighbor by delivering meals to the homeless men and women from uh, the back of a green van that Alan owned. 
Allen readily admits that their original approach for serving the homeless community had many flaws, but with the help of formerly homeless man Houston Flake, they perfected the model that Mobilos and Fishes successfully uses today. Since its founding, MLF volunteers have served more than 5 million meals with a side of hope to homeless men and women living on the streets of Austin. If you've driven around Austin, that's quite a few people. Mm -hmm. And the organization has spawned similar food truck ministries in other cities across the U.S. So this was the OG. This was the OG. And then Alan, this is the thing that I think is really cool that Mm -hmm. spun off of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. He's also the visionary that's been behind Community First Village, which is a 51-acre master plan development in northeast Austin that provides affordable, permanent housing and a supportive community for men and women coming out of chronic houselessness and homelessness. Oh, wow. So it's sort of a... This is probably a horrible Wait, comparison, sure, sure. but it's sort of a halfway house community for right. people who are getting it's a out stone. of... Yeah, it's a stepping stone. It's a, yeah. it's a very affordable pretty much free place for people to go and live for an extended period of time while they continue to put money back, establish a savings, establish Mm -hmm. sort of... Because part of this is like, to get a job, you need a mailing address. Exactly. And it's tough to do that. And you have to have proof of residence at a lot of jobs, In a lot of jobs, yeah. That's what they're able to get at... at That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, I just, I wanted to highlight, you know, someone in Austin and in Texas in general Mm -hmm. that had a really successful career he was a real estate investor Mm -hmm. and real estate property manager in austin as it was developing but would drive by homeless people almost every day and instead of just handing out one water bottle every once in a while he abandoned his entire life's work to provide food and to provide shelter provide help in whatever way he could. And I'm sure there's homeless experts, and I'm using air quotes because I think that's a weird <laughs> phrase, who would say, you know, that's not really helping or that's not the most helpful thing. And I get that. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's truth to that, but there's also a reality that this one person has built an entire organization on just giving food to people who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's built into providing a place for people who need a home, an actual home. And so, yeah, I just wanted to highlight Alan Graham, a, a local badass, but a Texas badass. Shout out to you, man. Shout and thank you out. for highlighting somebody who dovetails so nicely with our guest today. Yeah, exactly. That I, He just, he fits perfectly. Yeah. Like I said, you're about to hear the man himself, Will Backy. He is the director of The Get Together, mm-hmm. the director of two documentaries, um, I, I believe, and Beware of Christians, which New is show, a hilarious title. Van Gogh. New show, Van Gogh on the Magnolia Network. Entering its second season. Entering its second season, following the Chewy Van Co, mm-hmm. who are a couple of guys that we're trying to get on the podcast. Hopefully we get that done soon. But for this episode, we got Will. He met us in the morning. We drank some coffee, got to know each other, had some really fun conversations about mm-hmm. his journey in filmmaking. His journey in faith. His journey in faith, how filmmaking and faith for him have come together and just what that means for him going forward. And he was so kind, so fun. His smile lit up the room, and he he was really generous with his time. So without further ado, we'll back back you, everybody. (laughs) I got that little bit, so let's dive in. We're going to dive in. 
Uh, backy. Backy. Oh, yeah. There we, go. we have been going backy and forth on that. I think it's... That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How Zach? dare you? You are fired. I actually found out when I was like 21 that it's pronounced Baki, and my dad was like, we've just been so, so committed. We just <laughs> At this point, <laughs> we're, we're going to change it. You want right. to change how you say your name? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> I'll just be we're wrong. We're committed. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest thing you've ever heard. We've just been doing it this oh, long. Might as well just, just might as well. Well, yeah. as you heard it here first on the Texas podcast, the show about some things Texas. And some things not. We have Will... Backy, originally Baki, on the show today. He is a filmmaker, director, producer. Overall, just his smile is making my day right now. Just Lights up the room, guys. Awesome guy. We are so fortunate to have him here today. So, Will, once again, thanks so much for giving us your time this morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> let's, let's do it. No well, promises. You have, you've got a couple of projects that have come out pretty recently. But we want to go back more to the genesis of just who you are and how you got into making movies. So just first off, where are you from? And can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm from Highland Park in Dallas, Texas. Um, I was just kind of a church kid, honestly, growing up. I was like, uh, I was young for my grade and I realized sports were not going to be my lane. And uh, <laughs> I graduated with Clayton Kershaw and Matt Stafford, so they both respectively took their sports and, uh, mm-hmm. and went and crushed it. So I was like, all right, well, that's, that's, I'm nowhere in that camp. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was just involved in theater. I was like a theater kid and Hell yeah. um, went to church. And, man, I, I kind of transitioned from just doing theater to wanting to make tell my own stories. Mm-hmm. So I got into film. And was just making dumb videos, my friends, and I was in a band in high school, and we also played, we played like Deep Ellum, and you know, in Dallas, but then we also were like all in a church band together. So, you know, just kind of bouncing around these different like hobbies and interests, and then, um, yeah, and then I got to college, and I went to Baylor, and. I was kind of sick of them, (laughs) and I was kind of around, I mean, I was just around, like, everyone's a Christian, right? So that's kind of the big difference is, in high school, it was like, you were in, like, a small clique of Christians, Mm -hmm. but you don't, you know, that's not really the predominant thing. And then in Baylor, like, everyone's a Christian, but everyone's also getting wasted together and trying to hook up with girls together. Unless you're in Zeta Zigazama, right? Yeah, ZZZ, you know, we don't don't know much about them (laughs) for a purpose and a reason. You could call them sleepers. You could call them that. We just don't call them anything. Okay, no one likes to talk about them, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> well, you, got, you guys went to Baylor? Uh, I went to a and I went, went to UT. All right. I mean, if y'all were ZZZ, then we'd continue this bit, but we don't need to do that. Yeah, we don't have to go down there. Um, <laughs> it's funny, because that started the, like, those guys. I know those guys. They, they started the same year mm-hmm. as me. And then, like, I remember going back to Baylor, like, years after I graduated and seeing that, like, it'd become a full-fledged fraternity. Oh, yeah. If right. you don't know what we're talking about, it's called ZZZ. I don't <laughs> well, even you can look pro- it up if you want. I don't yeah, even so. want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, no, they're no, great. They're, they're fun. But, um, yeah, so then, you know, that was just, like, a weird thing to me. And I just remember feeling like, all right, we say we're Christians, but, like, we don't, like, we don't look any different. Mm-hmm. This seems like just something we do and say, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really mean anything. And so, had a summer coming up after sophomore year of college, and me and some buddies wanted to take a road trip just as a fun deal um, for the summer. And 
we came up with this idea to make a documentary about just asking people what they believed all around the country and just trying to get like a mm-hmm. bigger perspective, set our Christianity to the side, you know, for the summer and just really be open to mm-hmm. other beliefs and other ideas. And and so, yeah, we ended up doing that and we raised like $6,000 from friends and family and knocking on doors and sending support letters and uh, ended up driving around the country for five weeks and just filming people telling us what they believe. And at the time, there was a website called couchsurfing.com. Mm-hmm. I don't I know if you all remember that. that. Website, yeah. It's like pre-Airbnb, yeah. just super janky <laughs> website <laughs> days. And um, yeah, we like put it on our profile that like, hey, we're just for like 20-somethings. Like we, I think we were actually just 20. Um, and we... Our Christians, we're doing this documentary. If you believe something other than Christianity, we'd love to stay with you. Yeah. And so we kind of like put it out there. They're like, this is what we're looking for. Sure. And, and dude, it was awesome. I mean, we had we had Mormons, Muslims, atheists, Scientologists, like all across the spectrum reach out to us and be like, let us host you. We, we would yeah. love to host you and mm-hmm. like talk about what we believe. And, um, you know, the the trip was amazing. And if, if nothing else, like I learned just how hospitable and kind and amazing Americans of all different faiths are. Yeah, absolutely. So it was yeah. super encouraging. I, I really want to dive into a little bit. Of yeah, yeah, let's this. go. Uh, so for that project specifically, was that something all your, that group of friends that went and did that, was that all of you thought, let's do this, or you being more the film with the film interest had this idea of like, well, what if I brought the camera and we make something out of it? Yeah, definitely more the latter. I think like halfway yeah. through the trip, two of the guys like kind of, it finally kind of clicked in that we were doing this thing, you know? Because <laughs> I was like making them go do interviews yeah. and like walk around and get B-roll with the camera and they're like, okay. And then like halfway through, I was like, no, 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 we're like actually like we're doing going to make yeah. something. Yeah. Which is really hard, honestly, because you're in college and everyone's mm-hmm. like, who makes a movie like yeah. in college? You know, so it took a little convincing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they, it, we kind of all bought in, I would say, like halfway through. But I was always kind of like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm doing yeah. this, yeah. So I had done a bunch of sketch comedy, like films, uh, freshman and sophomore year. And mm-hmm. so I'd kind of like cut my teeth with editing mm-hmm. enough to where I felt confident enough that if we just shoot a bunch of stuff, I can turn it into something. You can make a narrative. Mm-hmm. Was that your first attempt at like a documentary style? Uh, filmmaking yeah definitely and it it was I I I mean if you're trying to get into documentary filmmaking uh, I mean I don't think this is a bad way to start but I literally would just edit from like midnight to 4 a.m. in college because I didn't want to miss out on like friends and hanging out and all that stuff and I was just already a night owl schedule classes for the afternoon and then all of my edits I would just show the guys and like my roommates at the time Mm -hmm. and just say like just tell me when you're bored. Like I don't even. Sure. I don't even know how to put a story together. I have no idea, like how to, what like what the Academy Award winning documentary <laughs> filmmakers are doing. Right. I just don't want you to be bored. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, every, like all the scenes were just cut to where you enjoyed it and it was interesting or fun or unique. And I don't think that's a bad way to to do it, honestly. Honestly, I think <laughs> you're right, and I, it works. Like I, it's it's a really effective. It's a really effective documentary. I've, I've seen it. It's it's very beautiful. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, man. So, uh, and did you were you going to school for film? It doesn't seem like you were, but I, I don't want to assume. I was, yeah. Okay, I, yeah. So I was a filmmaker. Okay, cool. Um, Is that how you had like access to editing tools? And, uh-huh. uh, okay. Yeah, and honestly, like I toured around to different colleges, and I, I went and saw Baylor last, and they, the thing that kind of swayed me was like they pointed to their studio and they pointed to their cameras and they're like, yeah, as long as you're a film major, like 
this you, is all yours, you know, you, you have access to all of it. Versus, awesome. like, a lot of film schools, you kind of have to become, like, a junior or a senior right. to get access to, to like, the cameras. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I think you can also you can also study business or finance sure. and just do film on the side because, for the most part, like, I was learning cameras that were going to be obsolete by the time I yeah, graduated, sure. you know? Like, learning, sure. like, tape to tape and all this stuff that no right, one does that anymore. Right, nobody does anymore. Yeah. So. Everybody wants the red. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of my documentaries in college were on mm-hmm. tapes, and and even like our second documentary, I was like too scared to shoot on cards because right. I was like, I'm gonna lose this or yeah, delete it's so this. Small. Yeah, it's so yeah, small. It's so small. I've got to format it right. Like, yeah. yeah so I bought like HD tapes, which yeah. I don't even know don't how know that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this doesn't even seem real, but right. it says it, so I'm just gonna do it. I love that though. I love that creative spirit. Uh, so springboarding off like your documentaries and, and those actually like getting some praise and like doing, doing well, Mm -hmm. you're now making that decision, that leap of faith that, all right, I'm a filmmaker. Like, this is what I do. What was that like kind of coming out of college, out of that experience and, and getting into those bigger waters? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I, I think that like, it's really, it's obviously really scary to like put yourself out there and to try Mm -hmm. some sort of artistic vision or whatever and yeah. and get feedback and criticism. I think for us, for me, I, I I got the really unique experience of getting to like show a movie that I'd made in a theater with a bunch of college kids watching and mm-hmm. watch them like die laughing, you know, yeah. or just like I got to see them respond to the material enough to where it was like, oh, I'm addicted to this now. Mm. I don't think I can. I don't think I can just stop this, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah and it. it's like pure it. ego and adrenaline yeah. of just like affirmation and identity. And, you know, it's like super dangerous to get caught up in that. But um, yeah, our, our second documentary, we we toured around um, for like a year after college. But while we were still in college, we just did screenings at Texas A&M, mm-hmm. UT, Baylor, and TCU. And we would, like, show up to the school two days early. We'd fly our campuses like crazy. And we still knew enough people, whether it was, like, in the Greek system or, mm-hmm. or whatever, to help bring some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we had about, like, two to 300 people at every screening. And we just saw the response was huge. And it was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So I think that that's kind of what fueled me to be like, all right, this is what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. I got to find a way to, like, just be able to keep doing this and telling stories. So. Heck Absolutely. yeah. And what, for like those original documentaries, what do you think were the one or two things that were initially drawing people in and like really keeping them engaged with what you were making? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that if I had, if I had to say one, that it's one thing, you know, I think a lot of Christians, especially in the South, kind of grow up being taught to not doubt their faith and to Mm -hmm. not question it and like this is what it is and you need to just like keep those questions to yourself and so I think if there's anything that resonated with college students high school students was that like it was the four of us really wrestling with Mm -hmm. these ideas Mm -hmm. of following Jesus and you know and and that's in direct conflict with the things that we wanted which was to get drunk and hook up with girls so Mm -hmm. you know like working those things out and trying to understand like why does Jesus call us to do this why Mm -hmm. does he call us to abstain from certain things and and it's it started to feel a lot less like rules and a lot more like opportunities that would make us better people Mm -hmm. and so I think people watched that and saw our vulnerability in that and related to it so much Mm -hmm. that it was kind of the first time someone like 
gave them license to go question and doubt for themselves, yeah, right? right? And so that has kind of always been a big thing for me is like if there's a God, then he can stand up to your doubts and your questions. So mm-hmm. like ask him. And he's yeah. super okay with them too. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's I think he's comfortable with that. <laughs> I, I think I think we're the ones that aren't. So yeah. And a lot you know, it's interesting is we um when we were touring our first one and or when we were traveling around, we stayed with this Muslim family and mm-hmm. I'll never forget this like this woman um, was telling me, like, you know, the reason why we demonize other people's faith and religions is out of our own insecurity of mm-hmm. our own. And I think that that's so true, and, and that's so true for Christians. Like, we we tend to demonize other people or tell people, like, this is what Christians need to be doing right. because we're insecure about our own beliefs, yeah. and, and maybe we're not as, like, confident yeah. as we like to suppose. Well, yeah. like, built into that is that idea of, like, go forth and, you know, make disciples of all nations. So there's that, there's also that internalized guilt of like, oh, well, I'm not doing my job as a Christian to spread the word and I am doubting myself. So how, how am I deserving of, of this, this amazing thing that I've been promised? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love, uh, and I, I think you're right. I really resonated with that vulnerability. Um, so like yeah. going into that, were you in that position of actually questioning your own faith? And as you like with the, you know, talking with the Muslim family, what are some interesting things that you found out about, you know, your faith and other mm-hmm. people's faiths that you weren't expecting? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that like what I said before, you know, just being like a church kid, like it was mm-hmm. definitely a part of my identity, but it was, it was almost a part of my identity because I didn't have any other one, sure. you know, like I couldn't, like, I wasn't the athlete. I wasn't yeah. the, you know, this or that. I was not the smartest kid in my class. It was almost like a cultural thing. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, this is where I fit in. You know, like, you yeah. go to a church camp and yeah. you feel like you're cool or you feel accepted for the first time. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, this is my lane. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds weird to say, but it's like, oh, I'm good at this church thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, I've, I figured I this out. Yeah. This whole guy. I understand <laughs> the language here. Like, I know how to behave here. <laughs> yes. And it sticks out. Yes. Oh, you got hymns? I got hymns. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I mean, and it's still true today. Christianity, mm-hmm. like, it it attracts, like, people on the fringe, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a message that works best um, away from ego and popularity because, you know, um, those are the people that can kind of see their own need for, mm-hmm. for a savior. And yeah. so it's, it's not that hard to be cool in Christianity, <laughs> which is like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that means. But, um, so anyway, like, I think what I was learning about my faith at the time, like, yes, I wanted to, I want to say that I was like, all right, I'm putting God aside and I'm mm-hmm. just, like, I'm really going to look at this objectively. But like, I also recognize I wanted it to be true. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to like be wrong about this thing I'd been doing all of high school and college. But at the same time, you try to look at something as objectively as you can. And I, I felt very comfortable just through even reading books like Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz. Yeah. Like, hey, we're big Donald Miller fans. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. there's, it's okay to like not know and it's okay to like mm-hmm. search and try to figure it out. And so I felt a lot of freedom to do that. And ultimately like I couldn't shake Jesus after yeah. all that. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And how, how did, you, you know, growing up in the South in a place like High Park, High, High, Highland Park and, where where Christianity is sort of embedded in everything mm-hmm. from your family, from your school to your friend group, and it is very much that like there's no breathing room for being a little left or right of center as far as like what church would say is good or yeah 
voicing doubt or expressing doubt? Like, how did even, like, your family respond to, like, making a film like this and, like you said, like, setting Christianity aside for yeah. a summer to really explore, like, what do other people believe? What do I believe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was probably terrifying for them. <laughs> um, I mean, it was interesting because, like, as soon as we, as soon as we finished, you know, the first movie... Like, I, my parents had gone through a divorce in high school, and my dad had left, and um, he was, like, still in touch. We, we still talked, but, yeah. you know, he kind of told me, he was like, honestly, like, I just brought you to church because that's what good parents do. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't really real for him. He didn't really care. And my mom didn't really find Christ until the divorce. So, like, mm-hmm. we are kind of all going through it together yeah. in a way. Um, and it just kind of made me realize, like, it's, I mean, it's it's important to know for yourself. It's important to, like, make a stance on. Like, everybody kind of puts their chips on something mm-hmm. with their lives, mm-hmm. even if it's themselves. And it's. I think it's important to kind of know what you believe and why. Mm-hmm. So I would agree, yeah. Definitely. And so you make that first film, and then after you graduate from Baylor, that's mm-hmm. when you make the second mm-hmm. documentary, right? Um, I made that one the summer after the first one. So okay. summer after sophomore year, we made our first movie called One Nation Under God, mm-hmm. and then the second summer was called Beware of Christians. And yeah. it's really just the European sequel uh, <laughs> yeah. that we like backpacked around. and um, It seemed like y'all were having a blast. Like, it was it fun, like man. Fun. Because there was no, like, I mean you don't expect anyone's going to watch it. You don't, yeah. you, there's no expectations. You, you're not thinking about, I don't know, sitting in a theater with a bunch of people watching it yet. You're just goofing around. Mm-hmm. So that becomes real a lot, yeah. a lot later. What happens when it becomes real for you? What happened? Um, I mean, I just got like a burst of confidence, nice. you know, I, yeah, yeah. I think, um, like the, the transition from the first film to the second film was like huge for me because I had seen how people were responding. I understood like, what they enjoyed and what they liked and what they wanted to see more of. And so we were really able to implement that in the second film and like mm-hmm. step up our production game a little bit. And um, I mean, I say step up. We The second movie was we spent 20 grand on the whole thing. That's mm-hmm. like flights to Europe for four mm-hmm. people, Eurorail passes. Like we stayed in hostels the whole time. We bought a camera and did it all ourselves. So <laughs> like there wasn't like a crew following us. It was yeah. like very rugged. But um yeah, just like learning like different how to tell a better story, I mm-hmm. guess. So definitely, and in the Europe experience, did y'all ever have, or even in the first film too, did y'all have any encounters that didn't make it to the screen because they were aggressive in any? Like, were there any encounters that were bad necessarily, or not really, man? I mean, I think like that's kind of part of it too. Is like when you're twenty or twenty one. And you're telling people like, I don't know what I'm talking about, man. Like, I just, want, <laughs> I just want to know your opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like people sympathize with you. Yeah. You know, like if I was doing it now, I sure. think people would be like, Who's this guy trying right. to tell me what's up? Yeah. But like when you're 20, I think people are really responsive yeah. to that, and like they want to like tell you what they think about life. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we we really never got that many harsh responses. We got some, and people were just like. You know, but they just blow us off. And sure, there's yeah. like more dismissive than aggressive. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just get used to that, and you're like, yeah. you kind of have to, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to be the weird guy going up to someone with a camera. Yeah. Right. I, fast forwarding a little bit, just with the experience in making those two films specifically, what has it been like for you to see how divisive our culture has really rushed into the past few years? Like, you had this experience where, as a Christian, you have shared couches in homes of people who do not believe what you believe and they've been kind to you and respectful to you. Mm -hmm. And 
you have these relationships, like, what is it like to have that experience, but see how almost impossible that interaction would seem today? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I maybe naively believe, but I really do believe that we're not as divided as it seems, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think from like a 30,000 foot view, like, it looks like we're all at each other's throats, but I feel like you go talk to your neighbor, you go Mm -hmm. across town and Mm -hmm. talk to somebody, like, People can relate to each other, and it yeah. kind of just starts with, like kindness and respect, <laughs> yeah. and like. And if you start there, you can't really go. Can't yeah, it's it's really hard that. to like, yeah. you know, because, and I, I'm a big uh, Tim Keller fan, and he he kind of says that you know once like Christianity gets into bed with power, it's like that's when things get squirrely, yeah. you know, and it's like <laughs> once people start using Christianity as a weapon, that's when we start to drift away from yeah, like, like the message of Jesus real oh, yeah. fast, yeah. yeah. So I, that's not good, you know. But um, sub suboptimal. Pro- problem one. Yeah, it's uh. not great. And that, there's a lot of that, you yeah. know, unfortunately. Um, but so I don't know. I, I'm like the last person to get too deep into politics, but I do feel like I feel like that's a big problem. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and then a, another thing that uh, Keller said that I thought was really good. This has kind of been impacted me recently. Is like r- not letting your uh, subjectivity get in the way of your objectivity of Christ. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to believe in Jesus just because I was raised in a Christian culture and there was, like, there was social currency to saying that I was one, you sure. know? And it's fun to talk about Christianity in Austin because I'm like, in Dallas, it's definitely, like, a net positive yeah. to say you're it's a Christian. It's almost like a networking thing in a weird way. Totally. It's yeah. a thing of, like, if you don't say it, you're ostracized in certain Yeah, it's ways. weird. It's yeah. weird. There's more risks to saying you're not a Christian in yeah, Dallas. absolutely. And maybe, like, in L.A., there, maybe it's, like, net negative, or maybe it's even, like, you're going to run into yeah, more of that. maybe it's neutral, mm-hmm. but, like... Yeah, you know, I would at, say at Austin... it's neutral. Yeah, yeah, I would say Austin's pretty neutral. Pretty, yeah, Austin's about as neutral as you can. People, yeah. like really don't care like they they love yeah. to have a conversation Absolutely. and they have no problem being like yeah I just don't believe you and then you're like, yeah, cool, you're like cool let's, cool. let's yeah. keep drinking a beer yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah awesome yeah. you're almost like me. I don't really believe you either yeah. but I respect it I respect and it then you're just exactly <laughs> exactly which is why I love this town yeah, yeah, yeah it's man. it's um people are really receptive and uh, maybe it's because they just don't care enough yeah. with, and, and that's, <laughs> in, in a good way I mean in a, in a very good, good way, way. Yeah. in a very good way yeah. Yeah. like they almost care more about how good the beer is than right like exactly and like yeah. are we having a good time which that is, is yeah <laughs> which, exactly. which uh, in some ways I watched so I had not seen the get together until last night mm. um, so I've I watched apologize it for that uh, <laughs> amazing f- I really loved it Thanks, I thought man. it was a really well done film and I could see that transition from, like, documentary style to narrative and, like, how strong you've gotten with narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling three disparate stories that weave together to make, like, a really fun, impactful ending. Yeah. Um, so what was it like transitioning from documentary style mm-hmm. to your kind of your first narrative? Which I know this wasn't, but we'll get mm-hmm. to it. But, like, your first narrative, what was that transition like? Yeah, well, so my first narrative was back in 2014, mm-hmm. and, and it was a movie called Believe Me. And I've only done two narratives, so yeah. was, we're not going to drag you guys through anything else. Cause <laughs> only two. Um, so the first one, Believe Me, that was like, you know, it was our first movie. We got mm-hmm. to do it for like a million bucks, and yeah. we had kind of gotten enough momentum from the documentaries that we found some private financiers in Dallas that were like, let's take a chance on these guys. Nice. And... We'd written this script, my co-writer Michael Allen and I wrote the script about uh, a couple of guys in college that start a fake Christian charity to pay for college. Mm-hmm. So 
we are definitely more on the sarcastic side, like tongue-in-cheek humor. Yeah. And we wanted to tell a story that kind of poked fun at the Christian culture Mm -hmm. because a lot of our experience in touring those documentaries was like there's a huge uh, disparity between Christian culture and the actual sayings of Jesus. Yeah. So... And we think that's hilarious oh, and, so and can get made fun of, uh, you know. And also, end. it's just, as a Christian, it's kind of fun to make fun of Christian culture. For sure. Oh, yeah. Super easy, too. I mean, it was right <laughs> when, like, Babylon B was kind of coming oh, out. Yeah, like, that was, yeah. like, right at the same time. Nice. And, you know, there's another one called Preachers and Sneakers. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have heard of that. Big fan of Preachers and Sneakers. Very funny. <laughs> Very um, funny. Makes fun of preachers that spend a lot of money on expensive on shoes. shoes. Um, and you know, so that was like, that was our first narrative and Mm -hmm. it was like the first time to be working with actors and have a huge set with a hundred people. And like, we're going from, you know, me and three buddies with a camera, Mm -hmm. just like trying to figure it out to, you're not like running a set and having to direct actors. And I mean, I, I loved it. I felt such at home, like, especially coming from a theater background where you're like, you're trying to like figure it out together Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and try new things and try new blocking and try new ways of saying things that uh to me i was like pick him up i loved it (laughs) it. um but yeah i mean it was a totally different experience too like you know um we were trying to walk a really fine line where what we kind of ended up doing was making a movie that was like too christian for secular audiences and too secular for christian audiences sure and i was at we we actually screened it at uh, Donald Miller's uh, conference because they had just made Blue Like Jazz into a movie yeah. a year and that was prior. Lionsgate. That, yeah, yeah. Blue like jazz, and he right? was, I mean, they ran into the same problem. They were yeah. like, we we just like, we wanted to make a movie that was like authentic and real mm-hmm. and had cursing in it, but like Christians don't want that. Right. <laughs> and so we quickly learned like, okay, and this is, maybe this is a whole podcast in and of itself, but um, you know, the Christian, the Christian film industry is just very different, and I, mm-hmm. I compare it to, like, like Christian films and horror films are really not all that different. Like, mm-hmm. if a horror film has... It, a horror film can have bad acting, a bad mm-hmm. script, mm-hmm. bad lighting and cinematography, but if it's scary, it's great, you yeah. know, it, and it makes a great movie. With Christian films, like, the audience really doesn't care about the acting or mm-hmm. the cinematography mm-hmm. or, like, the artistry as much. It's just about... Did it encourage me? Did it embolden my faith? Did it affirm my faith? Did it prove that God is, in fact, not dead? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is God dead? Yes, no. And if you can do that, then, like, you're going to have yeah. a successful Christian mm-hmm. film. But, mm-hmm. like, Christians aren't going to see a Christian film to be challenged yes. necessarily. Right. They're not going to, like, wonder if what they're doing is right or what they're believing yeah. is right. And and I get it. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's the same reason why people you know, throw on Netflix and, like, just watch The Office every night because yeah. it's familiar. They know what they're signing up makes for. Them feel good. Yeah, it makes them feel yeah. good. Like, yeah. they, they don't really want to sign up for something that's, like, weird and different, yeah. Yeah. you know? Well, and do you think there's also, maybe not the majority of Christians, but there's that the group of Christians that love, like, Facing the Giants and Fireproof, there's this weird hesitation and almost fear to consume anything that's not explicitly Christian because... Oh my gosh! If I watch The Office, am I sinning? Am I sure. questioning God? Like, yeah. there's a fear to step out of this. Just explicitly, this is a Christian thing. You're safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that like I, we probably just didn't know that at the time. Like, yeah. I think I think had we kind of known 
what we did after the fact, sure. we probably would have picked a lane beforehand. Yeah. We probably would have been more strategic as like producers of like, right. if we're going to make a Christian movie, let's make a Christian movie. Right. Yeah. Let's make a movie that like that audience is going to really love and mm-hmm. champion. And, yeah. and like they can laugh, but they won't be offended. Yeah. Sort of thing. And at the time, like our voice just didn't really mm-hmm. fit that. I mean, it's your first narrative. And like, it still you're didn't. still finding your voice. Yeah. Still trying yeah. to figure it out. And, um, you know, we, we were fine with like making a movie for the small niche audience that we had seen touring our documentaries, yeah. which were like, we knew there were Christians out there that thought like us that were like trying, that could laugh at this comedy about yeah. Christian culture while understanding like the deeper message behind it. But, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of access to those people. For and sure. that's another big thing is just distribution. Yeah. Like if the market's carved out for those like Southern 50 mm-hmm. something year old Christians that just want to feel affirmed and encouraged, you know, that's that's the model you have yeah. to follow. Mm-hmm. Or you have to be ready to go carve out your own audience, yeah, which right. we just weren't ready to jump back in a minivan <laughs> and, and do again. And do so, again. Well, yeah. do you think, you know, making making believe me, do you think was there was there any fear of offending Christians? So you sort of had to play it a little safe or like how did it end up sort of landing in the middle instead of on either side? There was a line. Yeah. yeah. There was a line and we've um we <laughs> definitely went back and forth on it. Yeah. Um, I probably pushed more to, to be even weirder. Um, sure. We had a joke that got cut. I don't know if I've like told anyone this. It's really funny to me, apparently <laughs> only. But we had a joke in Believe Me originally about like these guys debating about whether Jesus ever got a boner or not. <laughs> and I found that like wildly funny. And uh, he would have to. Right? <laughs> and we just fully fully man. human. Fully, fully man. And uh, yeah. I thought I was like, I, th- I think it's tame enough. I mean it's just yeah. just throwing the idea out is funny. Right. But it was like we can't we just can't do that. Oh, so that got cut. Sure. But there's a lot of other things that we poked fun at about really about the culture that mm-hmm, made it really sure. funny about the different like hand positions for worship and praise yeah. and all this stuff that's like silly, but I think it related to like the lead Christian worship singer in the movie. Mm-hmm. His hit song is just Jesus that, and it just, he says it's Jesus complete. over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I yeah. think, I think Christians had a good laugh at that, but, uh, that. well, if you ever start a band, can you just name it Jesus Boner? Jesus Boner. <laughs> Jesus Boner. I think that would work. I think, I, yeah. There's a, there's a lane. There's a market. <laughs> there's a lane for that. <laughs> for sure. So going yeah. from like, I'm, I mean, you guys would have had to get a crash course in essentially marketing movies mm-hmm. and that's where you learn, okay, we didn't quite have this in mind going into it. Mm-hmm. So obviously with uh, with the get together you chose Elaine, mm-hmm. um, and I I think it paid off. Uh, like Gunner said, like there was very much an ethos of like you can tell the person who made this has beliefs and has like a morality and and, and something they're saying, not explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you find that choosing that lane made it made yourself freer as a filmmaker? I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I. I would I would be interested to know uh, how my beliefs kind of come off in that movie because mm-hmm. I think for for Michael Allen and I writing that movie we we really did say like we just want to tell a great story like yeah. there's no there's no mission there's mm-hmm. no message there's no like no one is running to the altar at the end of this film right. and likely 
uh, they're going to leave the theater and say, that was great. Where yeah. do you want to eat dinner? Exactly. You know, and so we were <laughs> like, like a perfect hangout movie. We're like, yeah, we just, we want to entertain you for an hour and a half yeah. and let you have a great time and think back on like what it's like to be in your twenties mm-hmm. and not know what the hell you're doing with your life. Yeah. And there's all these big decisions being made by your friends around you. And you're feeling so insecure about that. And that was the whole idea. And, and honestly, like it took five years to write that movie, get the funding for it, direct it, come out with it. And that is a long time as a Christian to commit to a joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like that movie is, I mean, I would constantly just be feeling like, and my wife had to hear me say it. I'm just like, I don't know how to justify my time here. Like <laughs> I'm not changing anyone's lives. Yeah. I'm basically like, I basically just want someone to laugh. Sure. Which is a really crazy endeavor to spend that much time to have someone just enjoy themselves mm-hmm. in a movie theater, you know, versus like coming off of these Christian films where people were like, dude, I like had an sure. encounter with Jesus yeah. through this, you know, I don't, I'm going to ask a question I, and I don't mean it. I really mean the question. Why is one better than the other? Um, if, if your purpose is to tell stories mm-hmm. and, and that is your purpose on the earth, mm-hmm. what, why is necessarily like making somebody enjoy something and really just have a good time? Why is that necessarily yeah. not as good as like, oh, I had this like revelatory experience? Yeah. So here's what I would say the difference is I, making the documentaries, you know, we had a really incredible experience mm-hmm. making those, but I would say the biggest thing that came from them was, like I said, we did like a... 150 tour stop thing sure. mm-hmm. for a year and a half where we went to colleges and high schools all over the country. And and I would say the biggest fruit that I saw coming from that film was in these screenings with mm-hmm. these audiences and the experiences we shared with them after of just getting to wrestle through hard conversations. And I was like, man, if I can make movies that have an impact like this, like I'm, we're good. Like this is so, um, it, it definitely filled me up. Sure. So then when we went and made Believe Me, we felt like, it kind of fell between the cracks with a lot of audiences and yeah. the people that loved it really loved it, which was great. But we didn't get that sort of dopamine hit of like sure. getting to share it with as many people as we had with our documentaries. But what we learned in that was like, oh, the the fruit of this movie was making it with these actors and yeah. being around people that would never step inside of a church sure. and getting to have conversations with them. And it was kind of around that time that I realized like, okay, God doesn't, like, need me to make movies to save people for him. He doesn't, like, need me for anything. Like, I have an opportunity to use the gifts he's given me to, like, honor him. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, that's kind of when my mindset changed from, I don't need to make a movie for, like, the end results. I need to make a movie that I want to express myself with where the journey is, like, the valuable part. You Mm -hmm. know, and the journey for me and the people I get to work with is, like, exactly where God has me. You know, instead of kind of like ends justify the means sort of deal. Right. So so that's kind of the that's kind of what changed for me. And I, I you know, I, I think it's I don't know which one's more honorable, but I would if I had to choose, I would say it's more honorable to like use the passions God's given you to glorify him ultimately. Yeah. And that could be making a a teen comedy or that could be <laughs> making a Christian film. There's Absolutely. really no difference. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well and with that, was it the transition from Believe Me to the Get Together and, and the Christian documentaries to the Get Together. Yeah. Was it sort of relieving in a way to make a movie that's almost about nothing? Like going from <laughs> like there is purpose and like Yeah. I know that people are gonna have a reaction to this one way or the other to 
full-on Richard Linklater style. This mm-hmm. is sure. a movie about pretty much nothing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be something that, like, um, you just sat in and just felt every frame yeah. of just, yeah. like, man, this is what it's like to be in your 20s. And, and in the movie, you know, it's three storylines mm-hmm. that all kind of clash at this house party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, like, can't hardly wait. And... Mm-hmm. You know, in the first chapter, it's a girl who's just moved to town to Austin and doesn't know anybody, and she's trying to fit in, and her roommate's kind of outgrowing her. Yeah. In the second chapter, it's about a couple that's, you know, the guy's trying to propose to her, and they get dragged to this party, and, you know, uh, plans kind of go awry, and the girl is just trying to figure out, like, man, I miss being back in Austin, and I miss my youth a little bit. Like, did I make a mistake trying to chase a career? Yeah. And then the third chapter is about a musician who kind of gave up the girl in order to sort of pursue this sort of like slacker culture here in mm-hmm. Austin. And he's kind of now looking back, he, he's like 30 now and he's mm-hmm. like, did I waste my time? Did I miss an opportunity, you know, to stay in a comfort zone? So all of those things, like I've felt all of those things in my thirties yeah. and like, or in my, in my twenties. And, um, we started writing the script when we were 25 and then mm-hmm. I directed it like a week before I turned 30. So I was so happy. I got to (laughs) bookend my 20s. Yeah, and just capture it in a time capsule with this film. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I really respond to movies that aren't preaching a message and ones that just really want you to relate to a character and, and kind of see life through their eyes, but they're also telling your story too, so. Yeah, and I, I think you, I really do think you succeeded, and as as somebody who just appreciates that world and is in, a, in that world, I wanted to tell you, like, your attention to certain details really made me happy. Like, when they lift up the box in that first scene, and the rat's eaten out of the, out of the box, and you can see it, so you don't, you don't necessarily know what's going on, but all the little set clues let you in on the joke, mm-hmm. and like, little payoffs, like opening up the mailbox for the cigarettes, <laughs> Just those little those little details like that, I I appreciated so very much. Yeah, thanks, um, man. And I know those are like hard. I yeah. know that's hard to do. Well, it's all those little random yeah. things. Like that's the dopamine hit now for me <laughs> of like people that appreciate the that small payoff. little things yeah, that yeah. are like, Just oh, that that's me and my friends. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah anytime yeah, exactly. it's like that reminds me of my buddy, I'm just like perfect. I it's great. I have two questions, one not serious, one a little more serious. I'll go not serious first. Sure. How you the the character of the musician that has sort of just given into like the slacker culture of Austin and is cool playing at Deep Eddie Cabaret once a week. Mm-hmm. Was it intentional to cast someone like Shaky Graves, who is actually a big time artist, <laughs> right. to play that role? Like, was that sort of an intentional thing, or was it just? Um, yeah, I mean, I, not originally, like we definitely had like a list of actors that we were mm-hmm. thinking about and could see playing that role. And then, um, we got an opportunity to, to talk to Alejandro and, and share the script with him. And man, we just like, he looked the part, mm-hmm. we got on a call with him. He sounded like the guy and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and I, I remember telling him too, I was like, this is going to be a bit of a stretch for you since like you've figured this whole musician yeah. game out. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but I didn't always. Like, yeah. everyone starts at zero. And yeah. um, he's like, I definitely remember the days of, like, grinding it out as a musician and trying to figure out, like, what the hell am I doing yeah. pursuing this? He, it was fun to watch him play that role because it was... It's always fun to see an actor play a role where I can see, like, they know this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This... Him playing him, he yes. knows him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and thinking about how Alejandro, when he does his audio tree live, they talk about how he learn how to play guitar in his room in Austin. He just yeah. 
started doing picks it. it up and it's like he knows this guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. watching the movie, I was chuckling the whole way through, thinking about like. You're a famous musician, but you're playing the burnout musician. And yeah. It's kind of funny to me. It's kind oh, of funny. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Like, the first call we had with him, you know, I used to live on a house on Speedway Avenue in uh, Hyde Park. And um, he, it, it kind of became like the party house. Like, it's just sure. where everyone assembled, yeah. you know. And it, when he read the script, we'd kind of written that in of like mm-hmm. this house party that they're all at is on Speedway <laughs> Avenue. And he was like, dude, I literally went to parties on speedway like all you know in my 20s and it was like just down the street from where our house was and, yeah um i've like heard that actually from multiple, multiple people. people yeah there's so like apparently speedway a lot of, was a party i went spe- to several when i was going to ut there's just yeah. like houses on that street i, I guess been to two speedway parties there you go. <laughs> it's so bizarre yeah, it's funny man so uh, films like that that celebrate Austin and that weird little like Austin subculture. Yeah, like, yeah, the Speedway yeah. parties. And but, and uh, Eller Coltrane, who was the star oh, of Boyhood. Man, that was so <laughs> random. He told I forgot that he was in it, and just like oh god, that's hilarious. We had such a funny just like mix of Austin mm-hmm. kind of names in it, you yeah. know. And and Eller was our production designer, okay, so he yeah. okay. he kind of came on board as you know really just to help us set the look. Like that was what he was interested in. Right. And, our producer John Michael yeah. and Chad, they knew him and um, so he agreed to come on and then we were like, dude, we're we're gonna have to put you into something yeah. just for like namesake exactly, as an yeah. actor. And he was like, Yeah, dude, let's just do it. Just that payoff. Let's of... find a crazy role. And so <laughs> his name is officially face tattoo right. in the movie because of his yeah. tattoo. And I think his tattoo says big swig on it too. I, I think they're, it does. They're one of our sponsors, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> he was like, just give me that. And we're like, and perfect. 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 I love the I love the that the whole the, her, <laughs> the whole her reaction to it is it's, it's so, so silly, fun. man. So fun, man. Yeah. Dang, yeah. I did, so the way he ended up in that was it just like he was doing design stuff and just you have to y'all be were like for a second. your name's hot. We need you. he'd been a production yeah. designer on our other on our producer's previous movie, okay. and so he was like, why don't we bring him on to be a part of this? And we thought like, yeah, that's hilarious, and we'll give him a role and. And then his role kind of became like this is the post boyhood movie. Yeah. Like this is this is after your this character after, graduates oh, college, yeah. oh, gets God. a bunch of tattoos. Yeah. This and is post Saul Ross University. Right. He's a burnout at this party, <laughs> so everything's kind oh, of yeah. full circle now. Again, the payoffs that you guys wanted, I think you got. I think you got. Uh, those onset jokes are the best. And was for and what's your writing partner's name again? So uh, Michael. Uh, Allen. Michael. Was this partially a love letter to Austin in some ways because it felt like one but I want to hear from the horse's mouth was it or yeah for sure and we you know we um, we co-directed we co-wrote and co-directed a short film um, that the get together was initially based off of okay. um, it was called 20 somethings at the time and I think we changed it to the get together so it's and, out there and it was a one shot it was a one shot yeah. we were like heavily influenced by Birdman yeah. at the time and we all were at that we point. all were <laughs> but I think what we wanted was like we're like, man, we love, love, love movies like Dazed and Confused yeah. and Can't Hardly Wait. And, like, we want to, like, how do we ratchet up, like, the feeling of being at these parties mm-hmm. and, um, like, the feeling of just, like, wanting to get the hell out of there. And so we we made the short film first, and we were like, man, we love this. And so then we kind of kept adapting that into this sort of, like, 
slacker meets Tazed and Confused meets Can't Hardly Wait kind of party movie. Yeah. So, but it we we kind of knew we weren't making Project X either. We kind of yeah, right. knew like <laughs> we're not those guys. We're not making those crazy party movies. Yeah, we're right. like it's kind of more like the slacker culture. Yeah. Because I, I I don't know. I never went to those parties where everyone's like. Oh, burning down the house and crazy well, stuff Well, that's like not that. a Speedway Avenue. Right? That's, not that's not a Speedway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's mostly just a bunch of people in a backyard mm-hmm. playing drinking games. You don't games know whose and, house it is, but you yeah. know everyone there somehow. It's mm-hmm. trashed, and <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, don't go in the pool. Nobody's allowed. Yes. Uh. So, yeah, that was what we went for. Yeah, but it was, for uh, me at least, having followed you from Believe Me is really when I discovered you mm-hmm. and then watched your documentaries. One... As a Christian in college who was really pushing against the exhaustion of the Christian culture thing, I was really... And to be clear, that's interesting because you were heavily involved in, in Young Life. I was a Young Life guy. A Christian yeah, counselor. Christian, Lady Lodge counselor. Yeah. I, like, that's always been an important part of my mm-hmm. life, but when I was in it, I was really fed up with almost the people at... Not the people, but just the the general idea toward what being a Christian meant was something I was really wrestling with. So watching your documentaries was actually a breath of fresh air for me to watch other college guys explore the country and question their faith, but also be open to hearing about other people's faith. Because it really felt like, as Christians that I was surrounded by, we were failing at being open to just anything. Yeah. Not even other people's beliefs, but, like, watching a movie like Dazed and Confused, like... And just enjoying it. Enjoying... Like, I loved movies, and all my roommates still love them, still my best friends. If I picked the movie, they all hated it, because Mm -hmm. it wasn't, like, purposeful or clean. It was movie 48, which is a gross movie, but I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But then to watch you make the get-together, it made me think a lot about how J.R.R. Tolkien talked about, you know, if someone's a Christian or a believer and they set out to make something, the gospel's going to be at the heart of it, Mm -hmm. just purely. Like, if they just make something. And it was really cool to watch you, like, make a movie that's not a Christian movie, but see your heart in it and, like, see that you just made an excellent movie. Yeah. And because of that, like, I encountered God almost even more because I just had a laugh and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so it's been really cool to, like, from afar, watch all of that happen. That's so awesome, man. We're on mic and you're in front of me, so I just <laughs> And you're trapped in here, so. Yeah, yeah exactly. so exactly. <laughs> That's dope. build you up, man. That's cool, man. Uh, yeah. And so, so I second na- all that. Yeah. So now, you know, you have Van Gogh, right? You're mm-hmm. you're involved in that project. Um, how would you get hooked up with with those guys, and how did you start making more of a documentary series? Like, what has this project been like? Yeah. So, um, so right now we're in our second season on a TV show called Van Gogh. It's uh, it's a show on the Magnolia Network on mm-hmm. Discovery yeah. Plus, and it's uh, about our buddy Brett, who's actually in the get together. Uh, he's like an extra. You can't miss him. He's just <laughs> got this long yeah. burly beard, but uh, he's here in Austin, and he turns vans into homes. Mm-hmm. So we like to tell people it's like pimp my ride for hipsters. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a good pitch. It's a blast, man. I mean, it's a <laughs> lot of fun. His his shops here in Austin and. Um, Chad Werner, who uh, is in the get-together as well, he plays Lucas, he was buddies with Brett. Mm-hmm. And um, our, there's three of us that are executive producing this TV show, Chad and myself and this guy Sam Chortek. 
And we just got an opportunity, the three of us, to pitch in front of Magnolia. And mm-hmm. um, Brett was one of the ideas we pitched, and they really liked it. And we, you know, set out to just kind of make this goofy, weird, you know, renovation show in a van. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to kind of, you know, implement our style and our, you know, our, our comedy into it. And, you know, Chad Werner, who's who's the creator, he he has like a really fun, just kind of Wes Anderson-y vibe and, about him. And um, so the three of us really got to put together a cool sizzle. And then we got the chance to do a pilot. And then we got greenlit for a season. And so being in season two now, it's just a blast because, you know, it's, it's just kind of like a fun club with your friends mm-hmm. and you're just making stuff again. So yeah. it, it kind of feels like that return to the documentary space where you're just being really creative on the spot and coming up with new fun ideas and yeah. And so we've been pitching more, um, TV show ideas and got some more, you know, movie concepts Mm -hmm. and, uh, more narrative stuff in the works, but it's slow. So (laughs) (laughs) everything's slow. Yeah. yeah, Everything is slow right now. Uh, just as a fun, like what if Lionsgate is like, whatever you want to make, we'll fund it. doesn't matter how much it costs. Mm. What do you make? Or A24, if you want to go that way. Sure, if you want to go that way. Love A24. Dude, man. Um, Green Knight was fun. That was a great movie. Uh, There's, I mean, there's ideas. (laughs) It's funny, like, once you kind of get into a producer mindset, Mm -hmm. you start thinking about, like, okay, well, these are the ideas I'm passionate about, and then these are the ideas that people would actually maybe see, Mm -hmm. you know? So I have some ideas that I'm like, I would love to make this. I don't know if anyone would watch it. Sure. Um... And there are some ideas that I think would just be a blast. I made a short proof of concept um, a couple years ago called The Study, and it's like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like loosely uh, based on a book uh, called House of Leaves that I was just like inspired by. And um, I wrote this, I, we made the short film, and we, uh, it became a Vimeo staff pick, and it was kind of my first, like, arrival into thrillers and sure. I love psychological thrillers and so I would say if there was like a bunch of money handed to me I'd go make a psychological thriller because <laughs> nice. um, I think that those are really fun and especially like contained thrillers was, but yeah those are super fun always but um, got some comedies lined up that I'm really excited about I would say my lane is like coming of age mm-hmm. satire you know comedy you have yeah. such a knack for that the rhythm of that comedy it, it, and that that rhythm is not something everybody has internalized so mm-hmm. that's like I, I certainly couldn't do it so congrats yeah. like you've got it thanks it. man I, that's a really interesting uh, it's really interesting that you say that I, I started off playing drums like mm-hmm. as and I was a drummer and like I think rhythm is really important to yeah. comedy and really important to like editing and so mm-hmm. you know I think if you are a director that can also edit mm-hmm. it's mm. super helpful because you know, they say like a, a story is written three times, like mm-hmm. on the page when you're on set and then in the edit room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you can have like a concise vision through all three phases, like yeah. you can probably execute that. And joke. you seem really passionate about music as well. Your, your music choices are very intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's really important to me to have a good, like I, I probably promote the soundtrack just as much as the movie <laughs> every time I do a film. Cause I love, I, I just, um, I listen to the Ocean's Eleven soundtrack all the time. I feel like that's, that's an excellent. Soundtrack. I feel like that's like my like. I want to wake up and put that on and be like, all right, just carry on throughout the day. Let's, Yo, yeah, let's go well, after it today. Because of the get together, we're having Billy King on. Um, oh, really? A weeks. Yeah. Oh man, so Will's awesome. Yeah. He's a great guy. And mm-hmm. He's super talented and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, and, and a lot of I've heard that from a lot of directors too that they like 
their ideas start with a soundtrack or an album mm-hmm. that puts them in the mood, and, yeah. and that's like what they want to carry throughout mm-hmm. the whole film. It's almost yeah. like the chapters, like the song yeah. is a chapter. Yeah. yeah. What uh, if you can give us some insights? Like if I told you, hey, here's a thirty million dollar budget, go make a comedy. Yeah. What do you make? A comedy, um, man. <laughs> I don't think I would need thirty million dollars. First of all, it's I just, so much y'all money to me. Y'all are the movie me. guys. I'm right. not, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. don't know what a normal budget. Is. Yeah. Lately, they're giving like ten million for comedies about like the cap. Yeah, I mean, there's like it's a weird. I mean, again, it's a really weird time because mm-hmm. the mid range movies, like the eight to ten million dollars, like there's not a ton of them being done. You mm-hmm. have like Marvel movies, and then you right. have like these small indies, mm-hmm. and so the middle ground is like a weird, interesting space. Um, I've always wanted to make a movie that's kind of like a Christopher Guest movie, like Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman about uh, the Antiques Roadshow space. Um, I've kind of written a concept with a buddy of mine about like a murder that happens at one of those. And it's all these just like interesting characters that you'd see in those kind of movies. swap kind of people. Yeah, trying to to figure it out and solve the crime. (laughs) So, because I just love that. Like Bernie is a great, another Linklater movie, but... um, but yeah, Christopher Guest is like one of my favorite, you know, directors, yeah. storytellers. So, something like that, I would say. Dude, that'd yeah. be so fun. That's yeah. like Clue meets uh, the folk one he did. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, yeah, yeah, Little so, Sunshine. No, uh, no Christopher okay. Guest did a uh, one of the one of his movies about folk singers. And it's, oh, uh, yeah, Mighty yeah. Wind. Mighty yeah. Wind. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Clue meets Mighty Wind. Yeah. So <laughs> that'd be fun, man. Well, and you, you mentioned Linklater, which is a good segue sure. into another thing that we just wanted to talk about is you're, you're a successful movie maker. Yeah. Like, you I, are a director, you are a producer. So you're not a, one man's, two man's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Dude, hey, man. we're, we're really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, but we're more than we, just two we guys. Have, <laughs> we have literally hundreds of listeners. Hundreds of listeners. <laughs> Dozens <laughs> of dollars flowing Dozens. into this thing. Oh, well. Look us up on TikTok. We have hey, one, video have one video with a win. lot of it. Let's go. Let's go, dude. But, I mean, seriously, you know, from. Um, you're gonna be humble. We know sure. you're a humble guy, but looking at your resume, quote unquote, you've done real things. You're not mm-hmm. just talking about being a director, right? You chose not to go to LA. You're here in Austin. Mm-hmm. Linklater chose to stay in Austin, do his thing here. What what made you decide to do this film thing in Texas and in right. Austin versus going to a New York or an LA, where you could maybe do bigger stuff? Yeah. Um. I mean, it's not any reasons that make me sound cooler. Like I, I would say like I was definitely <laughs> I was definitely afraid of I was definitely afraid of yeah. moving out to LA. You it's know, I was I was uh because I was just like man, I'm not I don't I don't know anybody and I'm like mm-hmm. terrified to go out there and do the whole like mailroom thing up mm-hmm. to the desk of mm-hmm. CAA and try to like I don't know, just try to grind it out. I mean, and when I was in college, like, that's what I was told what you kind of had to do. Mm-hmm. It was like, you need to get an internship, you need to go work in the mailroom, then you're going to log tapes for somebody, and sure. then you're going to, like, build up credits and get to the point where you can actually do your thing. And mm-hmm. and I think that that works. I think things have changed a lot, but I also know people that did that, and it's yeah. worked out really well for them. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to start telling stories immediately, yeah. you know, when I was in college. And I'd rather, like, tell some bad ones and fail yeah. and work off of that yeah. and then wait 10 years to, to, like to get my shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like one piece of encouragement. Like, 
get all your bad movies out yeah. sooner than later, right? Like, just do as much as you can. When you have yeah. no money, you make the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, just fail, 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 <laughs> and then uh, you'll get better at that. So, um, I'm for, oh, why did I stay in Austin? So, I, you know, yeah, in one part it was because I was, like, afraid to go to L.A., but mm-hmm. two, I also realized, like, when I visited L.A., I was, like, the worst version of myself, and then I was, like, man, I want to become the guy, and I want to, like, become a big hotshot director, and it kind of took me away from the, just the love of doing it, Mm -hmm. and also made me, uh, it kind of made me lose sight of, like, what I believe about my identity and being a Christian and following Jesus. Like, I think all I would have kicked a lot of that to the side sure. to like get in fame of, yeah. in pursuit of fame and mm-hmm. attention and money and movies. Yeah. So I was just like, I, yeah. I, I know that I'm weak enough that I'll fall for it <laughs> and uh, I should probably stay here. So, and I just love Austin so much. I mean, I've been here 11 years now since I graduated at Baylor and I haven't been bored once. Like this town's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so, so much, much to do. Dude, and yeah. I I feel lucky too because I was I probably really considered it the most like two to three years ago and you know and then the pandemic hit and now it's you can kind of do this from anywhere and yeah. people are leaving LA and it's it's opening doors up for filmmakers that are outside of the system mm-hmm. which and I love it's just been awesome yeah. yeah so you know you can take meetings over Skype and Zoom and it's great. Yeah, have, have you ever, I'm curious, have you ever come across any Hollywood or L.A. people in the industry that didn't pay attention to you or maybe, like, didn't want to talk to you because you weren't in L.A. or because you are a Christian? Like, have you experienced any type of, like, back not backlash, but just, mm-hmm. like, have you sort of been cast aside because you are choosing to do your thing here instead of out there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's definitely a detriment to be outside of this. It, it was, it maybe it, it probably still is, to, to not be in L.A., you know, as a filmmaker. I mean, there's certain parts of the industry that you just can't do apart. Like, if you want to be a writer, you kind of have to be in L.A. Yeah. Because that's where you're going to get staffed on shows, yeah. and that's where you can really build up credits. You know, to be a director or a producer, it's a little bit easier to be mm-hmm. outside of it. Um, especially if you have your own projects or you want to go make your own independent feature and yeah. self-finance and that sort of thing. So it really just kind of depends on who you are and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. Did I answer it? What was it? Did I? You answered the question. Did you yeah, from yeah, your questions yeah, yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. I keep doing that. So but. like going forward with, you know, you've got your Van Gogh, you've got uh, some things happening right now. Mm-hmm. Are you concurrently building like some narrative stuff and you've got that in the works? Mm-hmm. Um, it, do you find it difficult to maintain focus? Um, or is it better? To, oh, yeah, I see. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I mean, here's the thing. When you make a movie, it takes years yeah. to put together. Mm-hmm. And it can t- it just takes a long time. And mm-hmm. so being committed to one project is really difficult, especially if you're just like, if you're a creative and you have tons of ideas. And so what I've really loved about the TV space, mm-hmm. you know, is, is we can tell a lot of stories and yeah. we can meet a lot of people mm-hmm. and we can have a lot of fun. And so right now... Uh, Sam Chortek and I, Sam is, uh, again, one of the EPs on Van Gogh. He and I were developing a project for Travel Channel and for HGTV, and it's like we've met a bunch of fun people that have projects and ideas that are dope, and it's Mm -hmm. fun to work on. And I'm not passionate about reality TV, but (laughs) uh, it's a blast to make with the people that I'm making it with. So I'm I'm down. 
Um, and then I've got, you know, I've got uh, representation in L.A. to help push some of these more narrative projects forward. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, they just take longer. Yeah. And so I can develop and pitch more, but um, it's not as, like, hands-on as, mm-hmm. as some of these other projects in the unscripted space. So I kind of, like, push a lot of ships forward at the same time. Yeah. And, Whichever one's hit, hit. Yeah. And then I'm working on that. Well, even like doing Van Gogh and doing some of these more, you know, reality type shows, are you almost able to take some of these story ideas and just kind of inject them into an episode? Like, all right, for this episode, let's make this happen. And mm-hmm. then you almost get to like wring your right. hands of like, all right, that all idea right. is cool. gone now. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah, totally. Well, there's, you, you kind of get to flex some creative muscles and then, mm-hmm you're good, you know? Like, yeah. it's it's really hard to, especially if you're, like, a director trying to do independent features, mm-hmm. to wait a couple years yeah. to then mm-hmm. get to shoot for maybe 12 days and yeah. direct, and then you're like, well, yeah. I hope that holds hope that me off out. yeah, <laughs> for another couple of years. Um, you know, unless you get some momentum and you kind of right. roll that into another movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what's different. Like, if you're a producer, you can maybe go d- produce a couple different projects. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a director for hire... You know, maybe you can jump on some things, but sure. especially if you're like a writer director, you're doing your own stuff. There's just a little bit more yeah. time in between. Yeah. So, so like, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you're an amazing director and that's part of why you know, we brought you on. and We want to learn about your projects, but outside of filmmaking and those types mm-hmm. of things, where do you find fulfillment? Um, I would say my community, like my friends, mm-hmm. um, I've kind of always like, I've always, I don't know, there's like, it's like a weird way to say that, but I've always been an extrovert, yeah. so I've always had just a lot of friends. Yeah. Like, I've just, like, found a lot of people that are weird and <laughs> enjoyed hanging out with them, and yeah. I think they like hanging out with me. So, <laughs> um, I would say, like, I've never been one to just kind of shut myself off mm-hmm. in a room and write and, like, I don't know, think that I'm, like, God's gifted filmmaking and I, I need to stay here and write and people sure. need my stories yeah. like they don't and so you're neither a starving or a tortured right. artist yeah right. I'm definitely not a tortured artist like if you're in the Enneagram I'm not a four like I don't <laughs> I don't need to like feel like I'm special um, yeah. I'm a seven seven which is like is. you just want to go have fun all the time well, yeah. the fact that you and ignore pain is actually impressive yeah, yeah right? right I shouldn't even be here guys yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I'm like I get like filled up by just being around people and, and having a good time. So I would say, like, outside of filmmaking, I'm usually just running around with friends, playing pitch and putt at Butler. Yeah, and nice. There you go. Going to Barton or something like that. But, oh, yeah. Austin has so much fun. Fun so things to offer. Fun things. Are you going it's to the, the barbecue uh, festival, festival this weekend? I think they moved it, actually. Did they move it? Yeah. We'll update it. Okay. Texas cool. Barbecue Festival is coming up. Is it really? Excited. This weekend? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's this weekend. This weekend or next weekend. There's always uh, something. There's always something going on. And then on ACL's next weekend. ACL's yeah, next are you going weekend? to ACL this I'm year? going to ACL. Nice. Yeah. Who are you excited for? We got to know. Um, Man, who am I excited for? It's going to be a weird show. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a really interesting lineup. Uh, like It's crazy that like Billie Eilish is playing mm-hmm. ACL. I can't but, wait for George Strait to meet Billie Eilish. Yeah, like, I'm not a country <laughs> fan. I mean, I'm also not, like, like Miley Cyrus. Like, I don't know. I don't know who I'm going to see. I'm, I'm really excited to see Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, okay. Uh, that yeah. band's going to be amazing. Yeah. That's probably the one I'm most pumped to go watch. Because I've heard so much about them, I've never yeah. seen them live. Right. So, um, I like their sound a lot. They they really do have, like, quite a mature sound for how young the band is. Yeah. What you guys said, you bring on Billy King. Billy King and the Bad, Bad, Bad is, like, 
they have this sound that embodies this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, they get yeah. together. Like, they, yeah. they just... Yeah. It's kind of that just grungy rock that and roll. grungy and, burnout. Mm-hmm. Yes. Psychedelic stuff It's going so on. amazing. Well, what's uh, crazy is, so I actually work with the guitarist's wife. Oh, cool. And I was listening to Mathematics in my office. Yeah. And she posted her head in and was like, you like Billy King and the Bad, Bad, Bad? I was like, yeah. She said, my husband's the guitarist. And knowing her, I was like, you're married <laughs> to a guy who makes this noise. Dude. <laughs> That's so that fun. that song That's is like fun. the song of the movie too. <laughs> yeah, I mean he, it's it's great. Yeah, heck yeah. And so what we we only have a few more questions for you. We'll definitely let you go. Talking about stories and you know as story as a storyteller as storytellers, I'm curious. You know what what is the story right now that you want to tell? Mm-hmm. Um. So there's a story. I mean. The story that I'm, I, I, I kind of said this earlier. There's like there's movie ideas that you wanted, you want to tell that you don't think anyone's gonna watch, and there's movies that you're like, oh maybe this will be good. The idea that I have that I don't think anyone cares about, because t- people have told me no one cares about this idea, is I was in a fraternity at Baylor, and the pledge process was kind of wild, and just kind of like it's a weird like I love coming of age because, and and somewhat delayed coming of age because. Yeah. You know, when you're in college, you're around a bunch of people that no one's lived enough life yet to have really screwed things up. And you're watching them, like, figure out how to think and Mm -hmm. figure out what they think. And they can kind of go a bunch of different ways. And so I would love to make a movie about – I've written this story about a kid who pledges a fraternity that his older brother died in um, while pledging. And so he kind of decides to pledge in order to learn what happened to his older Mm. brother. And so it's kind of more like of a drama. It's a little bit more of like a whiplash type movie. Yeah, it's yeah. still got that sort of like sardonic humor that mm-hmm. you'll probably find in the get together. Just a bunch of guys just making fun of each other. But um, there's kind of a deeper like sense of trying sure. to understand their masculinity mm-hmm. in a time where like no one understands yeah. their masculinity. Like peak of their confidence right. and valley of their wisdom. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. A, a, it's unwarranted confidence yeah. um, <laughs> that I find very. Uh, Interesting. I'm gonna say it as a little hey. brother. I care about this story. All right. I want to see this. All right. Story. I think that. Hey, man. I think that's an excellent mystery. Just what interwoven with such interesting humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that would have a lot of heart and right up your alley. So don't, yeah. Don't let anybody dissuade you from that. <laughs> when, when we take off and this podcast is super yeah, famous, we'll, we'll, we'll just funnel all of our ad revenue. <laughs> yeah. That movie. Good. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate so that. We, we have it. In, <laughs> You have it in, uh, we have that. Not we didn't bring now. you it's on recorded. here just to guess. I'll tell people, time, we've got some soft commitments <laughs> <laughs> for dozens of dollars. Right. Dozens of dollars. <laughs> hey, man, I, I can promise you at least 10. <laughs> what are you, um, I was like asking storytellers and filmmakers and actors this question. What are you currently watching mm-hmm. uh, that you love? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I just watched, I just finished The White Lotus, mm-hmm. which that was an amazing show. Um, it's super zeitgeisty, mm-hmm. and uh, Jennifer Coolidge is a godsend to America. She's Agreed. so Agreed. funny. Man, she used to pretend to be uh, one of, uh, she used to pretend to be somebody's fa- somebody's daughter, uh, mu- called herself Muffin. Um, I can't remember if it was Hearst or... Uh, something else. I need to look up the article, but she would pretend to be this like uh, famous 
socialite to get into clubs and whatnot. Really? And got banned from one of the clubs <laughs> as as this person's daughter. Wasn't she Stifler's mom? She was. Is yeah. that okay? That's like because like thinking back, I'm like I just never thought about her. I was probably annoyed mm-hmm. by her. And then like now that I've like watched more, like you're like oh my god, Christopher Guest and especially White Lotus. You're like this woman is a comedy yeah. genius. Like she's, she's actually so hilarious. She is yeah. hysterical. She's hysterical. Um. So yeah, watched okay, White Lotus. Watched that, and then also like I'm kind of one of those people that I have to like catch up on things that everyone's already watched. So sure. I'm like watching Ozark for the first time. Sure. And, Watching Rick and Morty for the first time. And That's an interesting one. Yeah, I, lo- I love Rick and Morty. Hilarious. Dude, it's so amazing. funny. So, so funny. yeah, Dan Harmon's, I mean, he's yeah, a genius. Community, like, yeah, community. Yeah, community. Man, back in the day, community was the show to watch. It really was. The first it, couple it seasons were up, like... like... Yeah, it's it's a trip, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, is it kind of fun being a movie maker? Because if you're watching stuff, you get to say, like, I'm working. This is, <laughs> yeah, this, this is market no, research. I, like, fortunately turn my brain off and just enjoy it. Like, <laughs> I'm enjoy. not. I love that. Yeah. I have to really be paying attention. I have to, like, decide I'm going to watch this for the camera angles and the sure, direction yeah. if I'm going to do that. For sure. Um, otherwise, I watch it and I'm just like, why didn't I freaking learn anything? <laughs> I should have been, like, studying this. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm a big, like, David Fincher fan. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, yeah. I, yeah, I like I love a lot of stuff that doesn't. I mean, it it translates a little bit into what I try to make, but style wise. Sure. But it's like I love the look of a David Fincher movie, Dude. but the tone and voice of a Linklater film. Sure. So that's like the that's weird amalgamation yeah, I'm yeah. trying to make. That's what that. the fraternity brother. Yeah, that's movie. what it yeah. is. Social As, network is like a great. That's, that's great like the movie. comp. That's heck yeah. yeah. Right I always there. wonder as a writer, like when I hear, as like when artist. I hear it. As an artist, I'm not an artist. When I hear like Opinion Sparrow song, I just think I hate Andy Baxter so much because he <laughs> writes words that I wish I could write. Yeah. What is something like? What's a movie that you almost hate because you're like, I wish I could make that. Oh man, the last I felt about that was um, when the Righteous Gemstones came out. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, I feel like I'm watching something that I made and I didn't, and I'm so angry. Did I you didn't feel make robbed that. in a little? I way did. I was like, yeah. gosh dang it, like. This is such a brilliant idea. Um, and it's so perfectly done. It's so perfectly it's cast. So like it's, so yeah. I mean, Adam Devine is so good. I immediately oh wanted God. to like email the producers and be like, please can let I me on this. Please yeah. let me on or this. Or even like, dude. can I be in the credits in a way? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been more like yeah. great Christian satires coming mm-hmm. out, and I love to see that. Yeah. You know, I'm also like, I've, I've had phone calls with a lot of the producers of it to be like, listen, like, you're going to run into some distribution issues. <laughs> but I'm sure the movie's great. There's going to be some Facebook groups that really hate this, by the way. Oh, yeah, just man. Just it. remember, no press is bad press. <laughs> we, with Believe Me, we had Lecrae in it. He was like mm-hmm. a big Christian rapper. And yeah. uh, his fan base like went crazy on him for being in it. Because, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Because it like seemed, the movie kind of appeared to be like, Sure. Just straight up making fun of Christianity, right. yeah. which we were, but not, not Jesus, enough, yeah. not like the message of yeah. it. But they were all just like, "This movie they is the how dare you? Yeah, how dare, dare you? Yes, yeah. yeah." Which is great. He plays how a dare star. You talk about Jesus's boner. <laughs> You're not allowed to do it. What? There's some it's lines you can't cross. Some boners you can't cross. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, lastly, um, like I said, we want to respect your time. We have one final question. It's a question we ask everybody. We're a Texas podcast, so we must ask, you know, as we alluded to, you, you've chosen to stay here and make mm-hmm. movies here. What does it mean to you to be Texan? Whoa. Um, what does it mean to me to be Texan? 
I mean, no, uh, no creative answers here. I would just say like free, like freedom. There's just a freedom <laughs> to being a Texan that like you're not going to see anywhere else. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think people in the state, they don't ask for permission. They don't like need license from somebody else to tell them that they can go after something. And I definitely feel that way. Like if you want to make movies, go make movies. Like don't wait around. Right. Just yeah. go do it. Like you don't need to go climb some ladder. Like just go, permission. Yeah. just go do it. Yeah. Like everybody has a camera on their phone now. That's like better than the camera I had making my documentaries. <laughs> yeah. Like, so yeah. just, there's no excuse at this point. And I think that's, what's great about Texas is there's like people are friendly and, they want to champion each other's work and like what we're doing now. And, you know, and, and I think, uh, yeah, there's camaraderie in that. They don't see anyone else. I love uh, that. The answers get better. They get every better time. every time. <laughs> Will Backy. Will Backy. Thank you so thank much you for so your time. Much. Thank you guys. For hanging with us and, uh, Van Gogh Magnolia Network. Mm-hmm. Get together Amazon and Showtime. Yeah, correct? it's on Showtime. Congrats on that. Get that free trial. Be looking out for the frat movie. <laughs> yeah, we're be looking out for Texas <laughs> presents right. frat movie. Some executive and producers. Yeah, we're excited to be your executive producers for that. Dude, so, so stoked to show. Lock um, it in. Hey man, for real. We sign something now. <laughs> can't, can't wait to show up with terrible ideas. <laughs> um, but, I've got some thoughts. Have you guys thought about shooting it the other way? <laughs> But for real, thank you for your time. We've thank been so, so giddy much. to talk to you, to meet you. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to uh, continue just getting to know you a little bit. Yeah, it's good to know you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Bye, Bye y'all. <laughs> and we and we're back. We're back. We really oh, hope that. Will, thank you so much. Yes. I hope that you I hope that all of you enjoyed that conversation with Will as much as we did yes. when we had it. Listening back to it. Once again, the get together on Showtime, Amazon. I believe you were Christians, probably on Amazon as well. Van Gogh Magnolia Network. <laughs> and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe a Texas special. Maybe. That's actually not a thing. We never so even we talked never about even that. Know. I don't want anyone to be under the impression. I, you know what? I'm putting it out in the universe. Texas Goes is going to be an amazing travel show. Yes. On some network. On some network, possibly presented by Will Backey. Possibly. But probably not. We haven't talked to him about it yet. <laughs> Again, we're not putting that on him. Right. But, uh, yeah. Put it on the um, um, I heard that, uh, I heard he had a run-in. I had a run-in, dude. I so I'm a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Big baseball fan. Yeah, big baseball guy. See, the regular season comes to an end tomorrow as mm-hmm. we're recording this, so it'll be over on Monday when people listen to this. So my wife and I, we decided, you know what, let's go catch a Round Rock Express game. Let's just drive over to the minor yeah. league stadium, get a hot dog, get a beer, go to the ballpark. And America. we get there before first pitch, and uh, we, we, get to our, we get to our seat. We're sitting on the lawn. And we hear the announcer say, and everybody welcome country music artist Granger Smith to throw out the first pitch. We're like, oh, that's really cool. Granger Smith. I've heard his music and all that stuff. This will be fun. So he walks out there with one baseball in his hand. And I just see this yellow jersey hauling it from out from the outfield. And I Mm -hmm. think, oh, no, it's him. And sure enough. Lance Armstrong is pedaling right toward Granger, just does a hockey stop and throws the dirt on the pitcher's mound into his face, pushes him over, grabs the baseball, 
puts it in his pants and says, now I have two, and then biked away. He was on one day. He was, dude, he was, yeah. ba- he was back on his BS. He was batting a thousand. <laughs> I just hope he didn't drop the ball. <laughs> what a catch. What, what a catch. So, yeah, next time you're at a baseball game or a basketball game, any sport with one ball, mm-hmm. be on the lookout. Just- Lance tends to just hang in the background and wait for his moment, as he did at that baseball game. Kind of like a trapdoor spot. Yeah, or if you're at Zilker at the park, mm-hmm. th- playing with a ball of any kind. Just make sure you have two. That's all we're yeah, saying. Exactly, because he only has one, and he needs two. So, yeah, he, he stole the ball, and stole he got ball. away. This time. This time. <laughs> but I got my eye out. Exactly. So, hey, if you <laughs> if you see Lance out there stealing balls or stealing girls or just, or acting, up. just acting up or being nice, yeah. if he's out there helping out with mobile loaves mm-hmm. and fishes, if he's as giving he want to do, if he's giving bike rides as like a pedicab mm-hmm. thing, we want to hear that, too. Yeah. So for your Lance sightings, don't forget at Texas pod. Hit us with a direct message. We'd love to hear your land sightings. We'll share them here on air if they're good enough. And, yeah, I think that's all for now. I think that's all for now, buddy. All right. Bye, Bye y'all. y'all.